Thank you, choir, orchestra. Of all the churches for which the Apostle Paul had responsibility, the one dearest to his heart was the church in Philippi. Albert Barnes wrote, there is perhaps no one of the epistles of the Apostle Paul which is so tender and which abounds so much with expressions of kindness as this. It breathes the language of a father rather than the authority of an apostle, the entreaties of a tender friend rather than the commands of one in authority. I can identify somewhat with Paul and his love for the church in Philippi. Last week, Brian Turk, a member of our church and coach at USC, invited Wes and me to come to practice in the new field house. We went over and watched the practice and after a while Brian asked me, he said, how did you get to First Baptist Church? I told him, some of you know, perhaps some of you do not. It is a little circuitous, a little different as far as I'm concerned. I had been pastoring the Council Road Baptist Church in Oklahoma City for 10 years. The last year that I was there, I felt a pull to return to Texas. My family was there, Linda's family was there. And so I had wanted to go back home. There were churches in Texas that contacted us during that time, but as we prayed it through, it became obvious to us that that was not God's will. That was not where God was leading us. There was another church that came. I visited with the committee and it seemed as if that's where we were supposed to go. In fact, I was scheduled to go there on Thursday. If I felt the same way, if they felt the same way on Thursday, then I was going as their pastor. I believe it was on Tuesday that Bob Devonport, the chairman of the pastor search committee for this church, called me at home and told me that the committee would like to talk with me about the possibility of us coming here. That was strange to me because I had never been to South Carolina. I knew no one in South Carolina. I was totally unfamiliar with it. And yet in my spirit, I knew that there was something of God. I can't explain that to you. Some of you understand it. But I knew that there was something of God and I had to pursue it. To the degree that I called the church in Texas where I was scheduled to go on Thursday and told them what had happened. I said, I would not be honest with you if I did not tell you and therefore I canceled the trip to go to that church. Well, in the days that came after that, we prayed and I know that many of you prayed as well as to what God's will was. What did God want? Because that's really all that matters. It's not about me, it isn't about you, it is about God. What does God want? During those days, as Linda and I prayed and our family prayed, I also talked with John Bassanio, who is my mentor in the ministry, and he gave me wonderful advice and prayed for me. I talked with Ed Young, who was pastor of this church, and I'd known Ed for some time. And so the two of them sort of helped me pray through and seek the Lord's will, and 30 years ago today, I preached my first sermon here at First Baptist Church as pastor. 
I look the same as I did then. Some of you look older. But I want to share today a passage of Scripture with you in which the Apostle Paul shares his love for the church in Philippi. Honestly, this is the second sermon I have written for today. I wrote another sermon and then I just didn't feel that was what I was supposed to say, so I believe that the Lord led me to this one, and so I wrote another one. So today, take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse number 3. Paul, who dearly loved these people, wrote, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When Paul reflected, when he thought about the church that was in Philippi, his heart was filled with fond memories. As he remembered these people, as he thought about this church, his heart was filled with fond memories of them. They had been a blessing to him. And you have to understand at this time that the Apostle Paul was often attacked by the Libertines and by the Legalists. He often came under attack by the Judaizers. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 10, Paul wrote, For they say, speaking of the Judaizers, His letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Now that's what they said about the Apostle Paul. These people who opposed him said, you know when he writes those letters, when he's tweeting, he is strong. I mean, he comes across with power. But when you see him, he is not a good speaker and he's not very handsome. So they attacked the Apostle Paul. They constantly criticized him. They constantly criticized his ministry. But the church in Philippi supported him. Paul said that they had supported him during times of burden. In Philippians 4.14, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. These people, they were the ones who bore him up. They were the ones who prayed for him. They were the ones who loved him. And he said, in my affliction, in my times of burden, you were there. I counted on you. They also ministered to his financial needs in chapter 4, verse 16. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So when Paul is thinking of this church, he said, I have such fond memories of you. 
such warm thoughts of you. And when I think of you, I share those warm thoughts. In fact, I was thinking about it. One of the things I love about this church is that you have allowed Linda to be who she is. She is not a typical pastor's wife. You know that and I know that. Thank God. I don't think I could be married to a typical pastor's wife, at least those that I know. But you've allowed her to be who she is and you are to be commended for that. You have loved our children. Eric surrendered to the ministry here. He was ordained here. Stephanie's life was touched by the Lord here. She's in the choir. So you've loved our children. All of our grandchildren have been born during the time that we have served here. Ethel Davis recently said, well, I, I raised Eric and now I'm raising Hughes. Well, that, that's, that's true. You have raised our children. You've raised our grandchildren, and I, I love you for that. You have, you have shared dreams with us. We have had dreams together and shared them together. You've shared burdens with us. We have had burdens, and you have prayed for us, and we have prayed for you. We, we've shared those things. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. He says, when I think of the church, I have fond memories, warm memories of the people. When I think of you, I have fond memories, warm memories of you. Then Paul says in verse number 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I, I have you in my heart. So Paul is saying that you are the people who are on my heart. You're in my heart. I love you because you have loved me and and I, I have to say that I, I love you. I know sometimes I'm not good at expressing those things, but I really do love you. I sit on the platform and look out at you, and I have so many wonderful thoughts about you. Larry, sitting down here, gosh, we've been on the finance committee together for 47 years, I think, long time. I look out and see you and I think about it. I think about you, Curtis. Some of the things that you have been through, Bob is an encouragement, Jerry. Danny, not so much. <laughs> but, but the point is, and this is sort of what I want to do, is to say that I love you and thank God for you and my heart is filled with, with warm and fond memories and thoughts of you. Linda and I were having coffee the other morning and she was talking about how much you have blessed our lives and you have blessed our lives and I'm grateful for that. So as Paul is writing to this church, this church that was in his heart, this church that he loved, he said, I have so many fond memories of you and then he said, I also have total confidence in you. Not, not just memories from the past but confidence in the future. In verse number six, he said, for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The word confident means persuaded, assurance, trust. Now, Paul was not trying to flatter them. He was not trying to build up self-esteem in them. He said, I have confidence in you. Because of your character and because of what God has done in your life. That's his confidence. I have confidence in you. Because of who you are and because of what God is doing in your life. 
You see, it was God who had begun the work in Philippi. When Paul came to Philippi, you probably recall the story. He found the women who had met together. He met Lydia. And he led Lydia to faith in Christ. That's where the church in Philippi began. It was born at that point. It later spread to Europe, but that was its beginning. So the point that he makes is that it was God who began this work and it is God who will complete this work. I have confidence of that, he said. I have confidence that God who begins a work also completes the work. And I have confidence in you. You have been faithful in the past throughout the history of this church. They have been people of faith. I marvel at them. I have mentioned on other occasions, and I suppose because it really resonates with me, when the people of First Baptist built Boyce Chapel, what is now Boyce Chapel, in 1859, they built a sanctuary that would seat a thousand people, and the population of Columbia at that time was 8,000. So they have always been people of faith. We built this sanctuary and completed it in 1992 because you were people of faith. You're always looking like there's always people of faith. And when the YMCA became available, what was your response? We better get that. We have an opportunity and we're going to need it in the days to come. You've always responded as people of faith. You're, you've been faithful in the past and I am confident that you will continue to be faithful in the future. You've been people of faith, always believing and always, always claiming the future. This morning... Julianne Lorick asked me to come by and see her four-year-old Sunday school class. I went down there with those little four-year-old children and they had been taking up an offering and so forth because they are investing in the future of this church. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's wonderful that they did it. It's wonderful that a teacher is leading them to be faithful in the days to come, to believe in the, in the days to come, the days that are ahead. First Baptist Church has always been a people of faith. They have always been a people of vision, looking forward. You see, we have a wonderful and unique history. But our history is a launching pad for the future. It is not an anchor that locks us into yesterday. So many churches that have a history, so many churches that are historic, they can only talk about the good old days. They only look backwards. That has never been true of this church. We have a wonderful history, but it launches us forward. It does not hold us in the past. I have confidence in you because you've always been a people of determination. There have been tough times in the history of this church. You can think back. There was the Civil War, World War I, World War II. You can, you, know, you can go back through the difficult times that this church has faced, and yet it's always been here. It's been here. It's been faithful. People of a vision, people moving forward. So I have total confidence that God began the work, thus God will continue the work. I believe that. I believe that God began the work in 1809 in this church with those people, and he will continue it until he returns. Then Paul prayed for this church that he loved in verse number 9. And this I pray, 
Paul prayed, well, what did he ask for? What, what was his prayer for this church? And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. He, he said, I want your love to abound. And that was his prayer for these people that he loved. He said, I want you to be a loving people. That your love may, but not a little love, but abounding love. I want your love to grow, not become cold. And that happens so often. Some of you probably have had those times. Perhaps some of you have those times now. There was a time when you really felt the love of the Lord, you felt close to the Lord, but perhaps today it's become cold. See, that's what happened to the church in Ephesus. When Jesus was addressing the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he said, you're doing all the good things. You're doing right things. You're going through all the motions. You're crossing the T's, dotting the I's. You're doing all those things. He said, but I have somewhat against you. You just don't love me like you once did. I have those times in my life. Those times when I have felt close to the Lord, and loving to the Lord. And then there are those other times when it begins to be cold. And so Paul says, no, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your love may abound, that your love towards Jesus may be an abounding love. I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will love each other, that your love towards each other will grow, that it will be an abounding love. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another. Well, if there's anything that should characterize the church of the Lord, it ought to be that. that those, those people down there, they love each other. They love the Lord and they love each other. Paul describes that love somewhat in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says that, that the love that the Lord gives us is to be patient. Well, that's especially true with us and that's especially true today because, see, we are a diverse congregation. We are made up of a lot of parts. As far as ethnicity is concerned, nationality is concerned, economics is concerned, education is concerned. We come from different places. We have different perspectives on things. And because we are different, it is important that we are patient with each other. We may not see everybody the same way and they may not see things exactly as I see things. So we are patient with each other. That's what love is. Even my wife doesn't see everything like I do. I'm trying my best to bring her around, and I think she's going to get there. But we have to be patient with each other. He says that's what love is. It is patient. And then he says it is kind. This kind of love is kind. We have to be kind to each other. Be careful that you don't become unkind. Kind to each other, not jealous. Believe the best. That's what Paul says, that this kind of love believes the best. Do you believe the best of other people? To those seated next to you, do you believe the best? It's easy to believe the worst, but we are to believe the best about each other. I think you believe the best until they prove that it's not the best. I start off believing the best about people. And then he says, I'm praying that your love may abound with real knowledge. You see, love is an intelligent response. There are some things we don't love. You hear me? There are some things we don't love. Today we think that if, uh, it seems that we oftentimes think that if, 
we as Christians don't love everything, if we don't approve everything, if we don't tolerate everything, then we are not loving. Mm -mm. Your love needs to be intelligent. There are some things we love. There are some things that are not of God and we don't love. So Paul says that you may have that you may love with real knowledge and discernment. Barnes wrote it should be in proportion to the relative value of the object. I don't love everything, but I'm to love some things and my love is determined by the value of the object. Let me ask you a question. What do you love more? The approval of God or the approval of your friends, your peers? That's what Paul was praying for. I'm praying that your love may abound, but that it may be with discernment, that you might love the things of God more than the things of this world. Then he prayed for excellence in verse number 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Churches oftentimes are willing to settle for those things that are mediocre, that are less than the best. Paul said, I'm praying, I'm praying for you that you may be committed to that that is excellent. And you know, I thought about that as I read this verse of scripture and thought about this passage of scripture. This church has always been committed to the excellent. Aren't you glad? I mean, Boyce Chapel that I mentioned, built in 1859, has been here for, what, over 150 years? It's still beautiful, it's still functional. Why? Because it was built with excellence. Back when it was built, it was built with excellence because that was the people back then. This building is going to be here for decades to come. Why? Because it was built with excellence. And next week we begin remodeling or refurbishing uh, the why for our student ministry, I can assure you it's going to be done with excellence. Those who are working on it, they are going to be committed to excellence because we always have been. We have an excellent staff at this church. Golly. I, you know, I, I have a few gifts, but boy, the Lord has put people here who are gifted. An excellence. Steve Phillips, there is no one like Steve Phillips. No one in the music ministry like Steve Phillips. He's the absolute best. And I'm not saying that to flatter him. He knows I believe that. And uh, you do too. Our education ministers, program staff, Wes, Philip, all of them. I mean, they are the, absolutely the best. Richard, in our pastoral ministry, I get sick of hearing about him, to be honest with you. Everybody's always telling me what a great job he does. It's not that good. <laughs> Our deacons, I love these guys. They are, the, they are the best deacons in any church, anywhere, anytime. And I always love to go to deacons meetings. These are just wonderful guys. Paul says, I'm praying for excellence. And then he prayed for sincerity in verse number 10. He said, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. I want you to be sincere. I want you to be real. I want you to be genuine. 
the word that actually it's literally translated without wax because sincere means without wax. And what that refers to is that they made statues. Oftentimes there would be a crack in them and they would fill it up with wax. And then whenever the weather deteriorated it, then the crack was exposed. Paul says, I want you to be sincere. I want you to be without wax. I want you to be real. I want you to be genuine. Blameless. To be blameless does not mean to be unblamed. Jesus was blameless, but he was blamed for a lot of things. So what does the word mean? You're to be blameless. Here's what it means. When the Bible says that you're to be blameless, it means that you're not to be a stumbling block. You're not to be a stumbling block to others. The freedom that we have in Christ is not to be a stumbling block for someone else. And then he prayed for their filling in verse number 11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. That's what Paul said to that church that he loved. I want you to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. And if you are filled with the righteousness of Christ, then you produce spiritual fruit. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. My friend, when you and I are filled with the Spirit, that is our character. When the righteousness of Christ dwells within us, that is who we are. And when we are filled with the Spirit, then we produce evangelistic fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Makes sense to me. Jesus is saying, if you are people who are filled with the fruit of righteousness, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, all those things, and you abide in Christ, then you're going to bring forth much evangelistic fruit. Why? Because people would want to be like you. When you have that kind of joy in this world, people want to know what you have. When they see Jesus in you, they want that. So you bring forth fruit. To conclude, the high honor of my life has been to have served as pastor of this church. Linda and I are blessed with fond memories. When we think of you, our thoughts are blessed. I have total confidence in you that God will continue the work that he began. What God begins, he continues. And we're praying for you. We pray that you will be faithful to him until we stand together before him. This is an incredible church. Thank you for allowing me to serve as your pastor. Our Father, we thank you for the blessings of life and I thank you for First Baptist Church. What a wonderful people. What fond memories you have given us. 
Lord, I pray that you will protect them and bless them and fill them with the fruit of righteousness that others might come to know Jesus. May we be a reflection of you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we'll stand and extend an invitation. If you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you to come to him. We have staff to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, this is the best. Excellent. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing. As the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do. Oh, Jesus.